is the amazing thing with God. Because what in man's sight is going to win the battle, in hindsight, in God's sight, is not what's going to win the battle. How strong you are, how powerful you are, is not going to win the fight. Look at David and Goliath. He was a little boy with stones. Goliath was taller than Nick. And as stocky as Jared. And yet, a young boy won a fight like this. This is how I fight my battles. How about you take a seat? Thanks, guys. I love our worship team. I'm a little biased. I'm a part of it, but I know it's a little bit weird. Hey, church, I'm I'm doing a Madonna this morning. There is a reason to the Madonna mic, and no, I'm not going to bust out in Material Girl. So you can all salvation is safe. It's all good. <laughs> I'm going to start with a verse this morning before we get started, and we're going to pop it up. I'm going to pop it up on my here. It is. I love. Uh, it's upside down. Alrighty, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. Proverbs 4.23. Let's close our eyes and I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you this morning that your word is life. Father, I thank you that you will encourage us with the word of God Father, I thank you that you will inspire us. You will renew us, Father, as we gather around your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm praying that something I say this morning, not everything, because I know sometimes it's hard to digest a 30-minute chat, but I'm praying that something this morning really just flicks on in your heart and you grasp onto it. This morning in the Christian calendar is one of the um, amazing days of our Christian calendar. Now, It can be overlooked a lot of the time. In some churches, it's a massive big celebration. But in in Pentecostal churches, sometimes it's like, oh, we're going to talk about it, but we're not. not." And you're probably going, what is today, right? Because she's freaking out. It's actually next week that is important. But this week, today, is a day that we celebrate a thing called Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a day... um, that Jesus came into Jerusalem before he was to be crucified. And they call it Palm Sunday because they laid palm leaves down on the ground as his donkey rode through. But before we go into, so we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about the heart of Palm Sunday this morning. But before we get into it, I have um, something that I know if I talk about, we're going to spend probably most of the time understanding the background of Palm Sunday. There's some intricate things that I think are really going to help you this morning to understand this story. So before we get into more of what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to show you a video. And the video is by um, some guys called The Bible Project. And they're just going to explain to you a little bit about the Old Testament. So sit back and enjoy. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, 
Am I supposed to obey some of these? All of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion. And you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land. They break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there, to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. 
But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. So that's a little bit of a background of, it's like a a rounded up version of what's going to give you some understanding to what the Israelites were thinking on Palm Sunday, on this Sunday, on this day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And what you can see is that Israel had this understanding that the law was the way to please God. And the law was what we just saw in that video. And that was the way that they could become the image of God. But what we also saw was that the law equals deficit. What we've also seen in our own country, apparently, is that a deficit is really hard to fill, right? And all the parents say, amen. The law equaled deficit. There wasn't just a big gap between pleasing God and doing what they were called to do and the law. And so we find ourselves in, in the Bible, we find ourselves at a point where we begin to see, because what we can see on this side of Jesus, on this side of the cross, is that it actually, and a lot of the prophets spoke, like they said in the video, a lot of the prophets speak to this, that it's not an actions issue, it's a heart issue. Do you see that? Yeah? Amen? So you can see here by what we've just gone through, it's not an actions thing. It's not what they were doing. The fundamental thing that was wrong was the heart. And so as we we now go into, I'm going to read about this in Luke. So you can read along with me if you want. The slides will be there. And we're going to fast forward into Palm Sunday. But before we get there, I just want to say what the law was doing was treating the symptoms of the issue. But it wasn't actually treating the root cause of the issue. And so who knows that if you're sick... And you you treat the symptoms, but there's actually an underlying issue, other things are going to start popping up. And that's what we saw in the Old Testament. They would treat what they thought was the sim- what was the symptoms, but the root cause just kept on popping up. And one great king would come and he would remind them of the law and they would begin to go on a straight path, but then someone else would rise up and their heart hadn't turned to God, and then instantly, woof, off they went again. So they weren't treating the root cause. And that's where we find ourselves in Luke. So here in Luke, when we start reading about this, this is about chapter 19 in Luke. But just to give you a bit of a background as to what's happened just before we get here. So Jesus has come to Jerusalem. And this is probably what we would call like the pinnacle of his ministry. 
He had just raised a man from the dead. His best friend Lazarus, he had just raised from the dead. They had seen him driving out demons. They had seen him healing blind people. They had seen people who couldn't walk, stand up and walk. So at this point, you could say Jesus was at the height of his fame. And that's where we find ourselves in the story. And so we read, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached that place that you can read, but I can't say. And Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go ahead to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt, which is a donkey, tied, tied there, which no one has ever ridden untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you where you were untying, why you were untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As they went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. In, other, um, in the other books, it also talks about them spreading the palm leaves. Now, let's just stop here for a second. Let's just get what's just happened in our head. Jesus has said to his disciples, go steal a donkey. No, he didn't. He went, go find a donkey that's never been ridden, untie it, right? Now, in, in my mind, this produces a quandary, like, Okay, cool. Like, if I imagine, if I walked into a shop, say, and I went, I am going to take this Cadbury Dairy Milk Chocolate Bar. And they went, oh, but why are you taking this? And I said, because the Lord wants it. <laughs> they would go, ha really funny, we're going to call the police, right? So, it's similar in this story. They were taking a donkey that wasn't theirs. But this shows you to what pinnacle Jesus had actually become. Because... Not only did they walk into Jerusalem and say, hey, bro, we're going to take your donkey, but the guy went, cool. Because if the guy didn't say cool, they wouldn't have the donkey, right? Or they'd have a guy chasing Jesus on the donkey. That would be a really funny story in the Bible. And the guy chased Jesus on the donkey with a palm leaf, hit him on the head. But that doesn't happen. We don't read about that. And so what you end up seeing is that Jesus' pinnacle of ministry is that even people in Jerusalem knew who he was. Thousands of people were following him at this point. So when his disciples went into Jerusalem and said, hey, bro, we're going to take this donkey. He said, why are you taking this donkey? They went, the Lord needs it. They went, oh, Jesus, the guy that heals. Yeah, deaf, deaf, take that donkey. Like they had fully had an understanding. They, like Jesus was like, woo. People were like, he is the Messiah. He's the king. He's, he's got to be something about him. He's like a prophet or something. And they were following him, and they, so Jesus was at this pinnacle. Everybody knew him. He was hashtag famous. And then we read on in 30, verse 37. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. You know, at this point, if we read a little bit earlier on, Jesus heals his best friend called Lazarus. He was dead. He'd been dead for three days. The smell of death, the stench of death was on him. 
And at that point, Jesus was able to call to Lazarus and he walked out of his tomb. Now, when you finish that story, it finishes on kind of like an icky note where these guys called the Pharisees, they say, "Mm, too many people are following him. I think we've got to do something about this. There's actually a verse that said that there was a seed that was planted at that moment in their hearts. And so we read this and we're, we kind of, these guys are introduced to us in this story. If this is your first time reading the New Testament, this is an introduction to these guys called the Pharisees. Let me give you a little bit of background on these guys. These guys are like the trolls. A little bit like Donald Trump in America right now, like, nah, love to hate kind of feel. And so when you read the Bible, as a kid, I used to think these guys were like the bad guys of the Bible, Right? Because every time something happens, these guys are like, oh, Jesus, you can't heal on a Sabbath. And on this side of the cross, I could see what Jesus was doing. But on that side of the cross, when the law was the only way you could please God, and Jesus wasn't following the law to the letter, these guys were actually the good guys. You see, the Pharisees, although being hashtag trolls, were actually the guys who were meant to keep the law. And so they were watching this guy go around and their mentality is the law equals pleasing God. Jesus knew that that wasn't the way, but he wasn't living to the letter of the law. And so it was blowing their mind to the point where they're like, we've got to take this guy out. The rest of everybody else. See, Israel and Jerusalem had had this prophetic Um, word that had been spoken over them. They had been in exile. They had been through many different kings that had ruled over them. And so at this point, they were being ruled over by an empire called the Roman Empire, which we all know with the Caesars and the stuff and the cross and the, the Roman Empire. And so all of these thousands of people that had gathered around Jesus, their mentality was that Jesus was coming to bring the kingdom of God. He was coming to reestablish his kingdom in Jerusalem. And the Pharisees were going, well, that can't happen. He's not living to the letter of the law. And so these guys, um, these guys in the Bible, you read on, Jesus talks about them in Luke. Well, Jesus, as you read on, after the whole process of what's happened and Palm Sunday's finished and he gets off the donkey In 41, the verse says, As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you even knew, if you even you had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. When when I first read through this, I thought when Jesus wept, so Jesus has got off the donkey, he's overlooking Jerusalem and he sheds a silent tear like a, oh. But when you actually go to find out what that word wept meant, it's the same type of weeping that Jesus did when Lazarus was dead. It's a wail weep. Jesus's heart had broken because he realized, he saw, he could see, he was the son of God, he could see they'd missed it. They had missed it. The Pharisees are saying, you need to tell your guys to calm down. You need to keep it down, keep it down. But Jesus could foretell what was going to happen in the week to come. Do you know what was really amazing about Palm Sunday? 
is that they were yelling out things like praise be to God and Hosanna, which broken down in the Hebrew language actually means save us. They had this, they, they, without a shadow of a doubt, these people thought he was going to come and decimate the Roman Empire and bring his kingdom. There was a, um, a fight that Josh and I had when we were dating. Um, there, was, there was a great many fights, like, you know, when you're in a relationship, you're learning about each other. And so this one fight is um, kind of famous in my family. And so what happened is Josh and I had um, been sitting in the car and some stuff happened in the car, nothing too bad. Josh got home, I walked into the lounge room and I was really, really peed off. And Shannon and Josh walk in with Shannon's then friend and they all walk into the house and Shannon's like, what is up with her? And Josh is like, I don't know. And she's like, well, bro, you better go check that out or that's going to blow up in your face. So Shannon and her friend went to the other lounge room and Josh came in and he looks at me and he goes, babe, what's what's happened? Like he knew, don't go, what did I do? Because then that would just start a whole other fight. So he came, he's like, babe, are you okay? Like what's happened? And I just stood there and I went, you missed it. Now, up until a week ago, Josh had no flipping idea what he had missed, right? True story. We were at society, at Life Group, and we were talking about, I can't even remember what we were talking about, Jess. I don't even know. Lots of things just always end up in these types of things. Anyway, we were talking about something. And Josh goes, oh, like that fight that we had where you came in and you said, you missed it. And I was like, that's really mean. (laughs) But then after I went, hang on a second, do you still not know what you missed? And he's like, I have no idea what I missed. (laughs) I then went through and told him, the night before we'd had a conversation, just a heart to heart, not like a, you need to do this, but an actual heart to heart. And I had explained to him that, you know, I felt like I was being picked on by my younger sister and her friend. And love you, Shan. And the reality of it was they probably weren't. They were just being the way that, you know, my family is. They love sarcasm. It's the way that we talk. And so I, I said to Josh, I just feel like, and, and sometimes when we're in these conversations, you never stand up for me. Like you never go, oh, no, but her pants look really cool. They don't look like pajama pants. By the way, they do look cool and they don't look like pajama pants. (laughs) And so Josh, at that moment, goes, oh, okay, babe, I understand it. Fast forward to the day when we had the fight, the imaginary fight in my head. Shannon and her friend were talking They ripped on something, as we do in sarcasm, like, oh, yeah, your pants are really cool, Pip. And there I am waiting. (laughs) And nothing. (laughs) So they add on another layer of sarcasm. There I am, waiting. And you guess it, Josh adds another layer of sarcasm (laughs) on top of their two layers of sarcasm. So then they all laugh. And they think it's so funny. Fast forward to me in the house. You missed it. Now, we're talking like, what, 14, 15 years later, he finally got the point. The heart of the issue was not that he 
had done some imaginary thing in my head and he'd missed it, but that we'd had a conversation and he hadn't taken it on board and didn't stand up for me. This is the type of situation that we find ourselves on Palm Sunday. Jesus knows what he's about to do and he knows that the the heart of the issue is not the law and it's not the Roman Empire. The heart of the issue is their heart and they missed it. The law was supposed to be a story to show them, like Jeremiah says, that the heart is deceitful and they need something, but they missed it. We're just going to ha- play another three-minute video and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the fourth key word in this prayer, heart, which in Hebrew is sometimes pronounced levav, or more often in a shorter form, lev. Now, different cultures throughout history have had different conceptions of how the human body works, and this is also true of the ancient Israelite writers of the Bible. They knew that the heart was an organ in the chest that sustains life. There's mention of a heart attack in the Bible, Naval, whose heart died inside of him and he became like stone. But the biblical authors talk about the heart in many other ways that might seem strange to modern readers, and that's because these Israelites had no concept of the brain or any word for it. They imagined that all of a human's intellectual activity takes place in the heart. For example, you know with your heart in the Bible. Your heart is where you understand and make connections. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom dwells in the heart. And your heart is what you use to discern between truth and error, like Solomon did when he was king. So the heart is where you think and make sense of the world, and it's where you do more. In the Bible, the heart is where you feel emotions. You feel pain in your heart, like Hannah did when she couldn't have any children. In fact, the phrase, a broken heart, comes from ancient biblical Hebrew. You also experience fear in your heart. Your heart can melt or be distressed. Your heart can even be depressed. But then on the flip side, your heart is where you experience joy. In Hebrew, to be happy is to be good of heart or to have a heart of joy. So the heart is the generator of physical life. It's also the center of your intellectual and emotional life. And there's more. In biblical Hebrew, the heart is where you make choices motivated by your desires. So David had it in his heart to build a temple for God. Your heart is where your affections are centered. They're called the desires of your heart. And if you really want something and go after it, it's like what Nathan said to David, whatever's in your heart, go and do it. So then in the Bible, the heart is the center of all parts of human existence, as in the well-known proverb, guard your heart because from it flows your whole life. Now the prophet Jeremiah believed that the human heart was fundamentally broken. He said, the heart of a human is deceitful above all, irreversibly sick. Who can even understand it? He had watched a whole generation turn away from God. They started sacrificing their children as if that were a good thing. So this is why in the imagination of the Hebrew prophets, the only hope for humanity is the total renewal of the human heart. Moses predicted that if Israel was ever going to love their God, their heart would need to be circumcised, which is a very vivid and surprising metaphor about removing evil and stubbornness from the human heart. David, after he committed murder and adultery, pleads with God to create in me a pure heart. 
The prophet Ezekiel hoped for a day when God would remove the heart of stone and give his people a new heart of soft flesh, which is very similar to Jeremiah's hope that God would write the commands of the Torah on the hearts of his people. And that brings us all the way back to the Shema. Every day, God's people are called to devote to God their whole body and mind, their feelings and their desires, their future and their failures. This is what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. You know, it's easy for us to look back at the Old Testament and be like, how could you not see that? Because we've seen the other side of the cross. For some of us. You can see peppered throughout the entire Bible this heart issue that God and the prophets are speaking to. And at that moment in Luke 19.41, when Jesus wept, he knew that the thousands of people that were surrounding him then would not be with him in five days' time when he was on a cross. But he also knew that that cross was for something bigger than just to fulfill a law. He knew that by dying on the cross and fighting and taking the keys of sin and death and rising three days later, would bring about something that they had no understanding of. You see, up until that point, the presence of God sat in a thing called an ark or behind a curtain, and they had no access to it. But after what Jesus did, it completely revolutionized it, and it came in here. What Jesus did allowed us to have the presence of God come and live in our heart and transform our heart. Transform our emotions, our choices, what we do, our actions. You see, the things that were coming out, when we started in that verse in Proverbs and they're talking about guard your heart, the guarding of the heart was because the life sprung out of it, right? The life wasn't there. But today, because of what Jesus has done, the life can be there. In Romans 12, 2 and 21, it says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world with the hard heart, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 2 Corinthians 4 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an, ex an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is just temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. In John 15, 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. And what happened on Palm Sunday was, yeah, the pinnacle of Jesus's ministry and the people were yelling out save us save us 
but what they didn't realize is what they were asking to be saved from the wrong thing. Sometimes in our lives, we sing songs like, this is how I fight my battle, but we don't understand that the battle is already won because the ultimate battle was for your heart because life springs from your heart. There's a movie that I watch with my kids. It's called Moana. I love it because she's an Islander girl and she can sing and she's not really the, you know, the normal Disney princess. Anyway, at the end of the movie, there's this bad guy through the whole movie. It's this big volcanic thing. And at the end of the movie, Moana realizes that the person that she's trying to restore was the person who actually was the not-so-nice person. She stands up on this mountain and she's looking for this thing called Tafiti. And she has to give Tafiti back her heart. And as she looks around, Tafiti is nowhere to be found. And then she looks out and she sees that the, the rotting volcanic ash thing that's been attacking her is Tafiti. Because someone stole her heart. And so she walks towards this big volcanic thing as it's crawling along the ground And she sings these words, I've crossed the horizon to find you. I know your name. They have stolen the heart from inside you. But this does not define you. This is not who you are. I know who you are, who you truly are. This morning, this is what Jesus is saying to you. He has crossed the void of deficit to find you. He knows your name. They've stolen the heart from inside you, not the one that he wanted to create. But that does not define you. It is not who you are. He knows who you are, who you truly are. You know, you can be a Christian for 20 years and your heart can be still as hard as stone. You could be a Christian for 20 years who lived a life of five years with a well-springing heart. But because of what happens in life, depression, anxiety, fear, hunger, hurt, pain, bitterness, your heart can begin to grow over again. You know, you could be a new Christian or someone who doesn't know God and you feel like something inside you is wrong or you're walking this journey with God and you feel like everything you're doing, you know, you're not making the right decisions, even with the hard heart. But I want to tell you this morning that God does not want you to do this, this road alone. He doesn't want you to do this alone. Easter is an amazing time to remember that new life springs from what Jesus did for us. But at the heart of the issue, no matter where you are, God is transforming your heart. The battle for your heart was won on Calvary. And if you allow the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within you, day by day, your mind, your body, your will is being renewed by his Holy Spirit. You become the temple that his presence resides in. Just want you all to close your eyes for a moment. This morning, the
this morning, you may have come here. And you don't know fully the love of God. You've never asked Jesus to come and live in your heart, which is a way that we we talk about the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling within you. And this morning, I want to tell you that it's really simple how you can ask. It's a prayer that we can pray with you. It's nothing ooky spooky. You don't have to have open heart surgery. It's supernatural. And he comes and he lives within you. So this morning, before I go any further, I want to offer you the chance to start the renewing process of your heart. If you are here this morning and you have never acknowledged Jesus If you've never asked him into your heart, I want you to place your hand up right now. Everyone has their eyes closed because this is a moment between you and God. But when you place your hand up, it allows me to see that who I'm praying for. And it also allows the connection team to see who they're praying for as well. And afterwards, they can chat with you about this decision. But I want you to know that this is one of the best decisions you ever make. And I don't want to go any further until I've given you that full opportunity. So right now, while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, place your hand up if you want to take that step. I see that hand. There's no age limit to allowing the transformation process to begin. There's no limit whatsoever. If that's you this morning, place your hand up. Okay, we're going to pray right now. And church, I want you to pray with me so that this person doesn't feel alone as they pray this prayer. Are you ready? Okay. Father, today, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come and live inside me. I acknowledge that you are the Son of God, that you came to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to make us new. And today, I start that journey with you. In Jesus' name, amen. And we'll get someone to catch up with you after the service. But before we go this morning, I know it's school holidays and we've got kids around. But I, I right now want to speak to everybody else that's in this room. Because I know myself that I've been in places where I was like Tafiti. Been a Christian since I was four years old, but I still struggle sometimes with my heart issues. And I believe I probably will for a long time to come. Because God is renewing me and changing my thinking process. But I know that for you this morning, when I talked about that hard heart, that's you. Or when I talked about you feeling like you've lost yourself, that's you. When I talked about the Holy Spirit coming and living within you, you hadn't fully got that concept. See, sometimes we can invite Jesus to come into our heart or invite Jesus to come and change our life, but we don't have a concept of the fact that He comes in does it with us in here. 
And so this morning, the worship team are going to play a song. And I want you, as we're singing these words, sing them to the Holy Spirit. If you don't sing, speak them like a prayer. Because His amazing love that comes and lives within us is the start of the renewal process. I want to be someone where life springs from. Do you want to be someone who life springs from? If you need to come down the front to have someone pray with you, if what you are facing, what you are battling is harder than just something that you can process with God through worship, we have a ministry team who are more than happy to come and pray with you this morning. If you are facing something, a fight for your heart that you really need someone to stand with you this morning, it could be at work, it could be sickness, it could be your mental health, whatever it is, come down the front because we have people that want to pray for you. Because you don't, not only do you not do it alone and the Holy Spirit lives with you, but you also are placed in community. So you don't do it alone at all. Genesis says that it's not good for man to be alone. So this morning, the worship team are going to play this amazing song. And I'd ask you to stand as they do. But let this be the prayer of your heart. 